Like most Easter sermons that I do, I'd like to start it with a reference to a beer commercial. Um, (laughs) Do you remember the old Michelob commercial, sitting by the fire, having a Michelob, ladies all around, and the commercial says, it doesn't get any better than this. Remember that? All right. Not much has changed. We are inundated today with messages that tell us to live it up for today. All you have is now. So look young, get your hair transplants, keep healthy, make more money, go natural, keep up the image, stay trim. Apparently I wasn't doing a very good job of this when my kids were still in the house. We were around breakfast and um, they said to me, "Uh, Dad, how come your Slim Fast isn't working? So, like, <laughs> thanks, kids. Just the encouragement I needed. Perhaps all of this clinging to the present world deserves an honest inquiry of whether it's really working or not. All of this emphasis on the material world is it really working? Maybe we have it backwards. Perhaps being prepared to die helps us to live today. Ecclesiastes says it this way. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. So Solomon, who wrote this book, claimed to be the Uh, the Bible says is the wisest man who ever lived, claims it benefits us more to face death at a funeral than to attend a party. Hmm. I mean, when you consider the absolute fear that has gripped people during the pandemic, the fascination with global warming, this emphasis upon the body, it seems to give evidence that many people have their hopes in the material world and not the one beyond. Now, I'm not making any political statement here. I'm just saying, haven't you noticed this preoccupation with the material world? Is it working? Think people are happier? This abundance of concern about this world The material world is nothing new. The funeral of my grandfather, I think I was in about junior high when this happened. One of my aunts leapt on top of his open casket, would not let go, clutching, wailing, unable to reconcile his loss. And in contrast... My grandmother, who could sing, spoke of the eternal expectation, and when people gathered at the house, had a calmness and a peace because she knew Christ. Maybe being prepared to die really helps us to live. There are some of you that have this nagging feeling that you're not happy. And it's because you're looking at the material world, maybe 
It's another person. Maybe it's having money, a certain look, but you know you're not happy. And I'd suggest because you haven't answered the bigger questions. Maybe being prepared to die really helps one to live. Good news. My aunt, who was clutching her father, later trusted Christ. She and my uncle all came to Christ about the same time. I just talked to my uncle last week. um, And he was telling me my aunt passed away. And he said, in tears, he can't wait to be greeting her again in heaven. Hope. Amanda Peet, the actress uh, who has appeared in film, stage, television. She appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Put him in an awkward moment. Things got real when Colbert asked uh, Pete about her then HBO show where many of the characters were struggling through a midlife crisis. Colbert says, you've got a lovely life. What do you know from the midlife crisis? Is this a stretch for you? And she goes, no. 44 is quite something. And he goes, well, you don't look like a personal crisis to me. What's your crisis? And this is what she said. I fear death. Boom. And then Colbert goes, okay, keep it light. We all die. It's a late night show. Keep it light. Keep it light. Maybe you'll go to heaven. You'll die and go to heaven. She said, Okay, that's where I need help. You're Catholic, right? I'm Jewish. He goes, what do you believe? She said, I need to know what to believe in. Colbert goes, like, what happens when you die? She said, yes. I don't want to be a bag of dust. He said, I don't really know. I don't know what happens. I kind of believe. I kind of want the pearly gates and all of that. And she said, that's not inspirational. And he goes, not helping? Uh, Yeah, not helping. Hmm. Since Colbert is not going to give us the answers, can we find something that is beyond any one man's opinion and deserving of our trust? We don't need Stephen Colbert to affirm truth, and we don't need the smartest person in the modern world to tell us that either. Check this out. I've got an inside track. (laughs) Of course, it's a gimmick. Even if Einstein did say that, the statement would need to coincide with evidence. Truth is not incumbent to just one human authority. We have an abundance of evidence to the resurrection. Eyewitness testimony matters. Historical documentation matters. Take these and compare the miracle claims of other religions with the resurrection of Christ, and it is a runaway. No matter how many people believe Elvis is alive or the earth is flat, that doesn't change the evidence. There is clear evidence for the resurrection. Opinions are subservient to the evidence. Professor Tom Arnold the former chair of modern history at Oxford, said this, 
I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who've written about them, and I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller resurrection of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquiry than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Some of you are waiting to make a decision, and I'm telling you right now, what in the world is there to wait on when Christ has risen from the dead? However, perhaps the most convincing evidence would be the lives of those believers who know the importance of the resurrection. Because many are living like their hope is in today's world, today's power, today's leaders, today's possessions. If we truly understood the importance, would fear grip our lives? And would we be scurrying about trying desperately to improve just our physical lot? One person who spent his life jailing and killing Christians only later to become convinced of the resurrected Christ, wrote about the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. That was the Apostle Paul, and he noted over 500 people, unbelievers and skeptics, gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then Paul turns the corner and says in verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Don't you understand the connection? And in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. The point is there is a direct correlation between Christ being raised from the dead and the hope of your own life after death. There are other consequences to believing Christ is raised from the dead. And it seems it is here, I think, most people live and are more concerned about than even the facts of the resurrection. I think the facts are important, but people want to know what difference does it make. They have to see the immediate relationship to their life. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. The first one is this, if Christ is not risen, we have no hope beyond the grave. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul is actually addressing a kind of domino effect. He starts with what impacts us and says, you don't believe in the bodily resurrection? The next domino you knock down then is you can't hold to Christ's resurrection. Paul is like a philosopher who begins to show the logic to their presupposition. This idea of bodily resurrection is well established in, uh, in Scripture. The very first book of the Bible written, at least in chronological order, is Job. And in there it says, even after skin is destroyed, my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. John eleven twenty five 25 notes, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so Paul's argument is that if you hold that the body cannot be raised, you accuse Christ of not raising. And if you hold to that, then I got a lot more bad news for you. The next is this. Preaching is useless 
without the resurrection. Some of you may think that's good news because you don't want to hear more preaching, but I have a vested interest in this, all right? Preaching is useless without the resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Listen, much of the preaching we hear today is just moralizing. Good things you need to do. Charles Spurgeon said every sermon ought to make a beeline for Christ. And particularly, the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. Christianity is gutted without the resurrection. There is no effective sacrifice, and we still sit guilty in our sin. We have nothing to offer. Certainly nothing unique amongst the smorgasbord of religions that are offered in the world. But the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, end of story. Drop the mic. There is nothing else. Our faith has no substance without the resurrection. Also in verse 14, your faith is in vain. In other words, our faith is useless. Literally in the Greek it says, vain is your preaching, vain is your faith. You essentially have really nothing substantive to believe in. It is not faith alone that saves you. Faith in and of itself will not save a person. You have to have faith in the right source. People always find that faith in their religious performance or denomination will not suffice. It's not enough. It's why Jesus said if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains, you can accomplish a lot. His point was that it's not the amount of faith, but if you have faith in me, you're going to be able to accomplish a lot. Faith has to have the substance of Jesus Christ's work on the cross to bring a person salvation. I would submit to you that all people have faith, even if it's just faith in their self. Or faith in Father Time, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait till something happens, a voice from the sky, whatever. But the evidence is stacked that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. What is there to wait on on you making your decision to follow Christ and to be all in? Faith has to be in the gospel message that Christ died, was buried, and raised according to the scriptures for the sins of mankind. It's not just intellectual assent. It's giving my life. It's saying, I'm going to give my life to Christ and follow him. I don't just say the words. I know that I've been looking at the world and maybe a relationship or something to give me happiness. I repent of that and I'm committing myself to Christ and him alone. Without the resurrection, you know what we have? We have a whole bunch of Christians six feet under with no hope of rising. We are calling God and his witnesses liars by denying the resurrection. Verse 15 says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. We are calling the apostles and all the other people who witnessed the resurrection a liar. And we're also called, calling God a liar by denying it. Throughout the book of Acts, 
there are testimony after testimony, remember, of the same generation of people, including men and women who attested to the resurrection. Jesus wasn't like some ghost. He was bodily resurrected and seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. He ate food. He drank. He could be touched. A physical resurrection. God raised Christ. Over 500 people witnessed it. Are you prepared to call all of them liars? Do you really think that over 500 skeptics had the same hallucination of Christ rising from the dead? You say, well, you know what? I think Christ was just a good teacher, kind of like Muhammad. But this rising from the dead stuff, you know what? I don't believe that. Well, that's interesting. You got bigger problems in. You know what it is? You believe that good teachers lie. You say, what? Because in John 5, 25 and 26, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Would a good teacher purposely mislead his followers? Jesus claimed he was the Messiah, that he would conquer sins, that he, was, that he would rise from the dead and come back. Does a good teacher do that when it's not true? No. Next, our Christian life is powerless without the resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Futile means fruitless, powerless, or useless. In other words, what good is it? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how has your life changed? Paul says, you are still in your sins. Christ did not rise from the dead. We're still shackled with the guilt and penalty of our sins. Are you still shackled with the sins of your past? Or here's another one. Are you forgiving others in your family you're at odds with? You know what you're saying to people around you? Christ is a liar. He didn't really rise from the dead because I'm not willing to forgive them for doing that to me. You're a liar. You can't claim that Christ rose from the dead, allows us all of that for forgiveness, and then to go around not forgiving. It is the epitome of being a Christian. Then please don't tell anybody else you're a Christian when you act like that. Because being a follower of Christ means I have the power of the resurrected Christ in me. And I know that he's forgiven me of my sin and I can forgive others. You can't be constantly bringing up the offenses of another person to the point that you have bitterness eating away at you. It doesn't matter if they really did it or not. You still have to forgive. Whatever the sin, whatever the guilt, the resurrection of power of Christ is offered all. Do you know how many times I tell people who are maybe in a family struggle or in a marriage struggle, and I said, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And they'll tell me, yes, then. And you're a Christian, yes. 
then you have the power to see this thing turn around. It's in you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our power. The hope is not that this person will do this or that. The hope is that Jesus will do a work in our hearts. That we'll be able to forgive. We'll be able to walk in obedience. Whatever the sin, whatever the guilt, the resurrection of power of Christ has offered all. I stand here along with hundreds of others who've been to this church today. That God can give victory over the most burdensome of sins over the deepest of hurts. That's the truth of the resurrection. Next, we have no hope after death without the resurrection. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Perish means loss of well-being or disaster. Those asleep in Christ or dead face disaster if Christ did not rise from the dead. It's one of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor to be at the bedside of men and women who have attested to Christ and have an unshakable security in the face of bad news from the doctor. And death is at their door. But as a Christian, I can face death. I don't have to worry about it. Many Romans believe the early Christians were a funeral society. You know why they said that? Because Christians then would observe the anniversary of a relative's death on the third, ninth, and 30th day after the death. They gathered at the tomb, they sang psalms, read scripture, prayed, gave alms to the poor, ate a meal. All of this is craziness if there is no resurrection. We have got something to look forward to. You know, I have a dead list for my wife. That's what I call a dead list when I die. In it, I show her all the financials, investments, insurance information. And all that is fine, but if I have not shared with her the hope of Christ, I've provided her and my family a grievous end. If we can't rejoice as a family of this hope and come together as a family that when a loved one dies, we've got something to look forward to, then all the money in the world is going to make a difference. In Christ, we have our richest reward, and it's not sitting in a bank. I want my family to sing and rejoice at my funeral because I'm going to be a lot happier than they are. <laughs> Maybe I can't speak for all of them. Maybe they'll be a little happy, but, you know. <laughs> Ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> We are the most pathetic people on earth without the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. With no resurrection, all you have is life in this material world. We speak of an inheritance, of being seated in the heavens. Remember the old song, I've got a mansion over the hilltop? We speak of that, we sing of that. All of that is nonsense without the resurrection. Following the death of his first wife, the pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse was taking his children to her funeral. They stopped at a, a traffic light 
and a large truck sped by, the shadow engulfing them for a moment. Turning to his children, Barnhouse said this, would you rather have been hit by the truck or its shadow? The shadow, of course, his children responded. Barnhouse said, that's what happens to Christians when they die. Your mother was touched only by the shadow of death. Are you going to be touched by the shadow or run over by death? My father, Tracy Short, my Aunt Bonnie, my grandmother, my mother-in-law, are some of the people who have passed that I look forward to seeing again because of our certain hope in Christ. Without the hope of life beyond the grave, I would have been inconsolable during the passing of some of these dear family members. Christ has risen from the grave and gives the greatest evidence and reason for hope. To Stephen Colbert, Amanda Pete, and anyone else who will listen, Jesus Christ is our only hope. Amen. Let's pray.